Welcome to Noble with Jason Noble, the podcast where we talk about HR and career issues. I'm your host, Jason Noble. We're here to share funny and interesting stories and advice in a transparent and down-to-earth approach. The pandemic changed our world in so many ways. Wearing masks, online shopping, and remote work. Roughly 59% of the workforce works hybrid or fully remote. That's led to a lot of challenges around managing people. Some people can adapt and others struggle. Which brings me to my guest today, Lisa Brisebois. Lisa has seen her business partners both struggle and thrive and wants to share her insight by taking a deep dive into leadership challenges under a hybrid or remote model. Lisa is a highly respected HR leader with both private and public sector experience. She's dedicated her career to building HR strategies with a focus on leadership, talent management, hybrid workforce design and equity, diversity and inclusion. She's worked at WSIB, Humber River Hospital, the Ministry of Education and the Ministry of Colleges and Universities. Lisa lives in Midtown Toronto with a partner, two daughters and a very large cat. Lisa, welcome to the Noble Podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. Really, really happy to be here. Yeah, I appreciate your time. So let, I thought we could start a little bit. So I love this topic. Let's start, uh, I thought, by talking a little bit about uh, the old school, the traditional approach to managing people. So when people were in the office, the kind of, the kind that uh, you and I grew up with, so it was it was pretty easy. You know, you, you had group meetings or you had um, one-to-one discussions or water cooler talk or social time. So you went for coffee. You went for lunch, you had after work events, and you get to know people and build a bond. But obviously, that's changed over the past couple of years. So t- tell me a little bit about what you've seen. Sure. Yeah, no question. Things have changed a lot. You know, I think the, the big changes that we saw with hybrid work is this new idea of, of what the workplace means. That it could mean, you know, corporate office some days, kitchen table the next day. And that, that changes the dynamics for, for everybody and the, the, you know, the, the shift away from all of that constant connection with, with, uh, with colleagues um, uh, certainly makes a difference and something that leaders have had to, to sort out. Um, I will say for the record, I think that there's been some amazing benefits um, you know, I think that um, what it has, what it has done is it's resulted in a greater democratization of really well-paying jobs. So if you think about, you know, because we now have hybrid work options and remote work options, someone in North Bay can get a job that would normally be filled by someone that would, you know, only be in Toronto, only be available because they live in Toronto. So, you know, the salary of that person goes back into the local community and it spreads the, the wealth around. Mm-hmm. And you have that ripple effect that I think is just, it's a, a, has an amazing transformative um, effect, I think. And the pandemic accelerated so many of these changes. Um, and it, it, but it, it, also, it also changed and I think debunked the way that we um, think about productivity. So it debunks all those assumptions of, you know, in the, you know, in the old days, pre-pandemic, <laughs> it feels like, you know, like we're talking yeah, about this. I know, I know, I yeah. know. I know. Um, it, you know, everything was, um, the, the, the expectation was that you could, you know, you were most productive when you were in the office, 
the dominant sort of view among leaders was that you needed to be in the office. A lot of organizations had no appetite at all for any kind of work from home, or it was actually seen as something that was a big risk to your career if you if you availed yourself yeah. of it. Yep. So, but what we found out was that, especially in the knowledge economy, you know, um, most people can get their work done just as well um, from home as they can in the office, to the point where organizations have had to work pretty hard to make the case for coming into the office. And, and there's still some ongoing tension about this. We're still working that out in a lot of organizations. But we know that, you know, we know that certain types of collaboration work better in, in person. We know onboarding new employees uh, is better in person. Corporate celebrations tend to be rated better if they're in person. And the, the, the whole kind of process of the employee bonding to the organization and the mission of the organization tends to have a lot of benefits when, when, when that, um, those, initial, um, those initial days and weeks mm-hmm. are spent in, in the office to inspire that connection to the, to the mission. And we are social people. Like if you think about it, like yeah. we don't go out to restaurants alone. We go out with other people. You know, it's it, it, that's just who we are. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And just the virtual coffees don't cut it in quite the same way, right? <laughs> exactly. Uh, but you know, in the end, what is undeniable is that employees have really felt the benefits of of in their lives of eliminating the commute uh, or reducing the commute dr- dramatically. And being able to do a lot of their work from home, it's helped to solve a lot of the day-to-day challenges of life. And it's really pushing organizations to have an employee value proposition that emphasizes um, hybrid work and flexibility, the concept of flexibility in a lot of of their uh, ways of working with employees as the kind of table stakes now. You know, employees Mm -hmm. are drawn to... Um, organizations that have more flexibility, organizations that don't offer any kind of flexibility do so at their own peril at this point. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I think it has had some pretty big changes on the workplace and, and some big implications for leaders for sure. So, so from a remote work perspective, how do you, from your perspective, how did it impact leadership? Like what are some of the things that you've seen? Yeah, I think the impact of hybrid work, um, has been it's been interesting on leaders because you in many ways you would think that they would be in a position to be you know able to kind of pivot just leadership skills and lend themselves to sort of being um, more comfortable with change and being able to roll with change but uh, this was a big one um, this was a really big one and a lot of leaders I think really struggled um, in especially if they really were very invested in some some of the older, you know, very tried and true practices around kind of managing by walking around and, you know, relying on that. Which you can't do anymore. Exactly. Which you can't do anymore. And you can't have that hallway conversation, that casual thing that, you know, getting business done just by, by, uh, by the hallway conversation or the, the coaching that happens over, we used to call it over the baffle, like that over the cubicle wall. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Or even even everyone in the same room. And now, you know, right. you're looking at basically like a Brady Bunch screen. Right, right. Yeah. So very, very different. Uh, and I think le- leaders have had to adjust. They've had to figure out how to use, you know, Microsoft Teams or Slack or one of the other platforms to have that oh. quick connectivity with people to kind of replace some of those 
um, more informal ways of, of engaging with, with employees. And then, of course, they've had to figure out how to run town halls using Zoom. And there have been, I, yeah. I mean, there'd be a great bloopers reel to be had for, you know, <laughs> if we videotaped all of us doing that for the first time in the early mm-hmm. days of the pandemic. But we, you know, we had to up our game when it came to technology. We had to learn stuff. Um, that was, you know, really, really, um, you know, kind of new for a lot of people. So, you know, I think that leaders have had, uh, some leaders have found that tough and some of them have found it particularly stressful. Um, on the other hand, I've seen a lot of leaders who've embraced the change and they've done really amazing things with their teams. So, you know, whether it's people, I, this one, uh, one colleague of mine, she, she was, she was quite, uh, remarkable. She saw the opportunity so early. She, when Microsoft Teams started to pump out, um, upgrades all the time, um, you know, she saw new tools coming online and she would do, mm-hmm. she would do, um, a, um, a monthly team meeting where she would, you know, demo, the you know Microsoft Teams white virtual whiteboard, and get people you know run a fun activity, get people to do that uh, activity, and that um, that really allowed her to um, uh, you know to it it drove her own uh, accelerated her own learning, promoted the learning with the team, also helped um, everyone uh, kind of move in the right direction when it came to to using technology. She did that every month for a year as the, you know, as the tools just got better and better. Um, So, you know, that was a really, that was a really great example of someone who embraced the change. And and when I I remember when we were talking before the podcast, you were mentioning about there were some people that just um, on, on an introverted basis, they were uncomfortable dealing with people in a live setting. So in an in office setting, but you mentioned that you've seen these people actually thrive now that it's moved to a hybrid or remote model, because now all of a sudden, I guess people are people can be a little more confident in front of a screen. I'd love to hear some uh, like a story, obviously without you know any names or anything like that. But I'd love yeah. to hear some of the success stories you've you've seen. I you know I had a couple of people on my team who you know I would describe as you know very you know you know quite introverted uh, and uh, very quiet. Um, really s- sort of struggled with the in front of people type of presentations. And uh, one in particular who was so brilliant, just such a brilliant guy. And um, and I knew that because he and I had a, a very close working relationship. Um, but most of the rest of the of the HR division really didn't know anything much about him. And mm-hmm. and it was, you know, it, it was such a challenge for him to kind of break through that. But what I noticed during the pandemic and when we were all having to operate in this virtual environment was that he came to life. He there was just enough comfort in him having a screen that was um uh, between him and the actual people, that it, um, it, it it reduced anxiety. It just made it that much easier for him um, to uh, to focus and to to feel comfortable in his presentation style. And so I found that it was actually the the more extroverted people who struggled during the pandemic and in in the in the virtual world because they so missed a lot of the the energy of the in person. Um, environment and and of course extroverts really you know benefit from that's how they get energized 
Um, but the introverts really, really, really shone. And I saw, I saw his, uh, his ability to perform, his, his comfort with presentations grow, his skills sharpened in that mm-hmm. time. And he just readied himself for more in his career um, by really being able to kind of bring a superpower out that was always there, but um, uh, being able to kind of have a safer sandbox to, 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 to practice in was, um, was really to his benefit. So that, that really, to me, was so game-changing because I would have, as a leader, I would have said that this isn't going to be good for employees. Yeah. And there's that, I, I, I don't know that I would have been able to come up with examples of where it could have been beneficial, yeah. but I absolutely saw it uh, live uh, on camera with people. So, so I'm wondering on your opinion on this. Like when, um, so if you're working under a hi- hybrid model, it, um, you know, it, for someone who's introverted, do you do you encourage the person to manage people? I guess from a virtual perspective, will they be that person be more effective that way? And then the the person who's a little more extroverted, you you know, you manage people in, in an in person setting. Like, what? I, I guess what. How do you like? You can't cut. You can't cut a person half, no. right? Yeah, and you yeah. can't say no, right? So, so how do you like? How do you manage that? How do you yeah. make sure someone's effective? Do you just play to the person's strengths and say, okay, you're extroverted. You just deal with people who you know when people are live in front of you, and if you're introverted, just have those one-to-one meetings or group sessions when you feel comfortable, which is virtual setting. I think whenever you can play to your strengths, you should. And if you have the, 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 the flexibility to be able to schedule things in such a way that you can have, you know that, you know, if you have an internal client and you can be most effective supporting that internal client in an HR role face to face, that's when you bring your, your best. Um, and if that's something that you can organize with your client, then, then, then you should. None of us are going to have the luxury of being able to do that all the time. But, you know, the, 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 I'm, you know, I'm a big, uh, I love Marcus Buckingham and Marcus Buckingham talks a lot about that playing to your strengths piece as something that, uh, you know, we, yes, we have to manage the things that we don't do really well, but the more we can lean in and exercise our superpowers, we, you know, the, the better for the individual and the better for the team and the better for the organization. So uh, whenever possible, I, I would recommend that people try to, uh, to, to organize their work around where they, where they do best. And, and, but, you know, we all still, we all still have to, to, to play in both lanes, because as you mm-hmm. say, we can't be cut in half. So you still have to to learn how to adjust and 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 um, and deliver in a virtual world or in person. Um, mm-hmm. But it's great to have the choice, some choice at least, to have both uh, available. Mm-hmm. So talk to me a little bit about uh, being inclusive under remote work. So what does it mean to be an inclusive leader under remote work? Well, you know, inclusive leadership, regardless of remote or virtual, um, inclusive leadership is all about knowing your team. In the old days, inclusive, being an inclusive leader meant saying, I have an open door policy, right? Yeah. Like that was kind of 
all you needed to do, I mean, if you didn't even use the word inclusive yeah. leadership, you know, up until and may, maybe 10 years ago. It was all open door. You're open absolutely door. right. Open, open door, door. Just come in. Just let's come in and shoot, Let's shoot the yep. crap. Let's. Yep. Yep. And, yep. and so that's what it, it, it meant to fulfill yep. that idea of inclusive leadership. But now it's really not about waiting for people to come to you. It's about being proactive and walking out of your door, whether your door that, is virtual or, 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 or real and yep. going out and engaging with people. So, um, and you know, it's about being informed about, uh, it's about knowing your people. Always. It's about knowing your people. That's your best defense to, to, to all the, all, all the, 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 the things that can, uh, can happen in a work environment that's the, your best um, accelerator for all the good stuff that you can promote. The more you know people, the better. And the more informed you are about the barriers that exist for people, depending on, you know, any aspect of their identity um, and, and being active and proactive as a leader in terms of bringing those barriers down is really what makes an inclusive leader. So, for instance, it's June, right? It's Pride Month. Um, and it's something that I've always made a big point of celebrating. It's and it's important to me personally. I have a daughter who identifies as bisexual, and in my in my uh, um, one of my roles, I, I had one a manager who reported to me. She she came out to me, and mm -hmm. she said that it was the first time in her twenty year career that she had felt comfortable being open about this part of her identity in the workplace. She had kept it completely, completely under wraps. Um, but she felt working with me and with the team and the way that we celebrated um, all kinds of diversity, she felt she could breathe. She felt she didn't have to worry about the underlying anxiety about what if people find out, what could it mean for me, what are, would be my chances of promotion, all those things mm -hmm. that people, yeah. you know, very real concerns. Yeah. Um, so you know, that, that, uh, that's inclusive leadership. And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that uh, when I left that, or that, that organization, she was actually promoted into the role. So um, I, I like to think that the, the comfort she felt in being who she was and being able to bring her, her whole self to work contributed to her ability to become, you know, ready for that next promotion. The other, you know, the other thing, Jason, that I would say about uh, inclusive leadership today is that leaders need to really pay attention to psychological safety and well-being. I think hybrid work is great for so many people, but you've got to be proactive and alert for the signs of strain. So this is, again, where leaders need to be empathetic and, and pay attention to make sure that there's healthy boundaries in terms of the workday, make sure that there is a balance of, of that, that hybrid, you know, balance of home uh, and office is really... Um, needs to be suited to the individual circumstances. Not everybody has a proper space to work at home. So that's where being alert to those differences in people's circumstances is so important. One, one, someone I, that worked for me uh, turned to me um, one day uh, and, and well, it was, it was a virtual call. And he said, you know, I have a 500 square foot apartment and now I'm stuck living here and working here. Like, can I please come into the office? And we actually made, mm -hmm. we made a, 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 we, we weren't even allowing anyone to work from, from the office at this point. It was deep in the heart of the pandemic, but we made 
an exception in his case. And we slowly made exceptions for other people as we started to realize that not everybody could work from home comfortably. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that was that was a really important moment for me to 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 kind of turn on that that empathy for those sorts of cir- circumstances. So so what would you recommend for people like how do, how do you like if someone people can be oblivious, right? Like uh, you could be buried in your work and not yeah. realize what's going on. So what, what, what do you suggest to people? Well, one of the things that I did was I had um, I did two kinds of check ins. Um, I did check ins individually. Uh, and so one-on-one check-ins, uh, and then I also did through through the the crisis of the pandemic, and you could but you could do this any time. Is I had team check-ins, so where we're the whole focus of the team meeting was to basically say, "How are you doing? How are you doing? Is this working for you?" And um, what was really interesting was I kept up the frequency of that to be quite uh, quite frequent through the pandemic. And then as the pandemic restrictions eased, I stopped doing the team check-ins. And I had a couple of people come up to me and say, I miss those. Um, they really helped me feel like my uh, colleagues were in it with me. Mm-hmm. And so we actually reintroduced them, not with the same frequency, but still on a, on a, on a regular basis because what I realized is that we were building trust. And foundationally, you know, and if you're a reader of Patrick Lencioni, you know how important trust building is in, in a team. And so the unintended benefit um, of what we were doing to manage through a crisis was actually forging a really strong team. Um, and so that was that was a, a great learning for me and, and what I would recommend for people to kind of really just you have to take the time you have to put the time in to check in to people's realities. And one of the activities that we did was uh, what's in your backpack? Have you ever done that activity? I didn't come up with it, um, but it's a great kind of team uh, uh, building or, or you could even use it as an icebreaker that is about unpacking what we bring to work. And kind of what's happening in our lives that's in our backpack um, that's that we carry and we carry it all day long. And and if we know a little bit about what's in that backpack, we don't have to know at all. But if we know a little bit about what's in our backpack with each other as colleagues, how much, you know, what what would that do to the way we relate to each other? So if someone's just found out, you know, if someone's got an elder care challenge, they're moving their their mom into a long-term care home and they're worried mm-hmm. about their mom. Another person has just found out their child has a uh, was being diagnosed with a learning disability. Um, you know, you have all kinds of situations in people's lives that uh, if you know a little bit about their reality, it brings about a different dynamic and a different kind of grace that's given mm-hmm. to the way people engage with each other. And when things are, you know, it's deadline time and where people can sometimes get a little bit, um, uh, you know, a little bit more tense with each other, there's a lot more grace given when you know about people's circumstances. So that's Absolutely. the thing that I recommend. Go, yeah, goes back to empathy, right? Just goes being in empathy. someone else's shoes and, and having uh, understanding what someone's going through. You have no idea. You have no idea. And, and yeah. you know, I remember one day um, someone called me and um, she had relatives. She was, uh, had been, uh, she was born here, but her parents were born in Afghanistan and she had relatives in Afghanistan, female cousins who are now no longer able to go to school. And that was what was in her backpack. 
and you know I had noticed how 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 strange she looked, how stressed she looked, and then I learned about what was going on in her family's life and what she was carrying around, and it really made a difference in terms of how we connected and how I was able to uh, be supportive to her through that time. That's good. That, that's actually a really good story. Nice story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm curious in terms of the hybrid model, what what do you think some of the strategic implications might be from business perspective? Like, do you think we might be shifting to dynamic workers, meaning, um, you know, people who fly in and fly out? or, or, Or do you think there might be the same business model we have now and managing those full-time people, are we going to have to adapt to more of a a gig type economy? I think it depends on the sector that you're in. So I think a gig economy um, is going to probably be attractive to, to, to some sectors. Um, You know, I think. Especially with AI, there are a lot of people, you know, a lot of people worried about what is this going to mean for me? Yeah. How do I work? And now that I'm remote, you know, out of sight, out of mind, is AI going to take my job? Yeah. And, and you know, I think everyone's kind of wrestling with AI. Like the last, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to say, and, like the last two months have been. Yeah. Kind of and how like, do you manage people under that, right? How it's do you tough. manage people under that? Um, I think it's a, it's a kind of a, it's a brand new world with, with AI. I mean, in a way, AI has been around for a long time and there've been risks associated with it. It's just kind of, it's, it's now at such a new level that it's actually threatening um, a, a lot of, you know, a lot, I think people feel quite concerned about it, it threatening their work there. And, and, um, and at the same time, just like with every new innovation, you also have to not catastrophize um, entirely. You you know you have to obviously take a brave look at where the, the 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 concerns are, but also to really look at where, you know, how can we leverage AI? What's the good stuff uh, that can be that that we can use AI for that can actually help people get information faster, better. Um, mm-hmm. As long as we have the right controls, the you know the the, the right kind of ecosystem of uh, of regulation that brings the kind of quality assurance to uh, to people, and I think of it from a, an inclusion perspective. I just I think about you know uh, people who marginalized groups who uh, who need different types of support that are is really hard to get to, and does AI give them access? to um, information that might otherwise be tough for them to, to yeah. get. I yeah. think it, it has that, like, it's got some really important potential. But, mm-hmm. you know, we have to look at how do we make sure that the quality controls are there? And then how do we also preserve um, our, our world of work and our economy so that, you know, uh, people have that so there are jobs uh, for yeah. people and we don't, you know, put ourselves yeah. a lot of work. Yeah. Well, one thing I want to go back to is what you were talking about before in terms of uh, inclusive leadership, why it's so important. And you had the great example about where you got people across different geographies. So different time zones, different personalities, different demographics. You have all sorts of different things going on. Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, your experience. and So actually, why why that's so important 
to be sure. able to, to manage under a, a hybrid or remote model? Well, I think, you know, inclusive leadership um, in, a rem- in a remote or hybrid environment um, is so important because it's about understanding, it's about hearing the employee voice and the employee experience. So as our workplace changes and our models of work change, we have to do that in, in, in you know, it's, it really has to be a marriage of what is right for the organization and what is right for employees. So we mm-hmm. have to be listening. We have to be continuously listening. And we have to make sure that uh, we're inclusive in that so that we're, we're considering it from all facets. Um, so, you know, making sure that uh, we're, we're hearing the voices of employees, showing that we care about them as people, not just as human capital, a term, by the way, I loathe. Um, so, you know, that we care about them as people and that, you know, that authentic, inclusive leadership uh, comes through when you really genuinely care. People will let you know, and you whether you're surveying them or you're having focus groups or you have other listening mechanisms, um, they it, it does come through. A leader who's not inclusive is one who hasn't engaged in the ongoing learning and reflection of understanding the different barriers and challenges that exist individually and systemically. Yep. Um, and, and, or who hasn't put any of that learning into practice. So it's, and, it's that activity that's so important. And, and I, I got to think that just from, and this is just my own perspective, but I got to think that when you're dealing with people remotely um, as well as also in person, like that really makes it tough because you're trying to manage personalities, not only in, in front of you, but also people like people, you don't know if people are, um, with you or not when they're virtual. Yeah. You can see people's expressions when they're right in front of you, but virtually you can't. So it, I, I think you really have to make an extra effort to bond with those people, to understand those people, to really build that connection in order to have that, uh, so to build that inclusivity so that everyone's on board with you and, and you've got that buy-in when you're trying to roll a project out or whatever it is you're trying to do. For sure. Uh, and I think it's it's one of it, it's a big challenge. And one of the things that, you know, I think a, a lot of organizations are doing are putting in team norms for virtual engagement so that you get some kind of um, visual connection. Um, and, you know, there's always a balance with that because it's it is very hard to be on screen all day long. Um, and yep. the, there's more and more research oh, yeah. about how taxing that is on, on multiple yeah. levels. But finding that that balance between, you know, come on, come on screen uh, during the sort of rapport building or if there's an opportunity, if there's a critical discussion that needs to happen for a portion of the meeting. But if you need to be off screen, uh, you know, for for part of it, uh, it, you know, when you're not sort of individually engaging, that's okay. So Mm -hmm. finding finding those team norms that that just walk that line, I think, is is so important because you're right, like all of that. Um, all of that uh, input that we get that we don't even we're not even conscious of all of the signals we're taking in when we're seeing someone in person. Exactly. And it's, you know, when you have a conversation in front of um, someone, you can, you know, it's, it's very easy to kind of have that interruption or that natural flow. But when it's virtual, like, you have to pause. And it, it can be awkward. 
So you, but, you, but, and, and you want to show, like, I want to show I'm listening to someone. Uh, but at the same time, when there's some, something important that someone says, I want to be able to acknowledge it and not make the person feel like I'm being rude. Yeah, for sure. Well, or, you know, I remember facilitating um, a leadership session during the pandemic, not long after, maybe maybe five or six months in, and we had developed a, a leadership toolkit um, for leading in a virtual environment, which is a little bit ironic, but I was facilitating this and everybody was off screen. So it was very tough as a facilitator. Like to you, not, didn't, you didn't see, you didn't see the person's I didn't face. see faces. Yeah, which is, just that's like awkward. Little, and, and, a little, and, little, yeah. And you, yeah. so you don't even visually, you don't realize how much you rely on the visual cues and the energy that you get from yeah. people nodding and smiling yeah. and, and yeah. being very present and engaged. So, you know, we, we worked that out. Like that was a bit of a learning, right? It was like, oh gosh, that didn't feel good for me as a facilitator. I need mm -hmm. to actually be open about that and invite people, ask people to, you know, kind of don't leave me hanging yeah. here. Like we, yeah. we, we need to have this, um, this is going to be better if we, if we, if we have some visual connection. So that, that that's um, there's there's a lot of lessons learned, I think, in in working out those new ways of, of engaging. Perfect. So we're just going to move right now to what I call the noble round. These are some rapid fire questions. OK, so first thing I want to ask you is just what one piece of advice do you have for up and coming HR leaders? So I think that, you know, it's a little bit uh, of a summary of what we've been talking about, Jason. I think that, you know, we have long known that leadership drives culture. So if we believe that, and I believe that, then, um, and if you want to be, in, you want to have an inclusive culture, then you have to have uh, empathetic, inclusive leaders. That's really, really key. Uh, putting an inclusive lens on all of your leadership tools and initiatives, all of your uh, leadership processes, hiring, leadership development, yep. succession planning, the whole gamut. People who care. People who care. Hire mm -hmm. people who care uh, and who really get that. And let that be the, 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 the determining factor of how you select and develop yep. leaders. Yeah. Okay. That's good. So I noticed you're a fan of Gretchen Rubin. Yes. Me too. Yep. Me too. I, I, I read her Four Tendencies book and I love it. It was actually, it was really good read. So I'm personally a, an upholder. What tendency are you? Okay. So that's a tricky one. So I would say. <laughs> you, don't, you don't get to choose. I know. I know. I know. So um, I am, uh, I am an obliger. Okay. Um, and, uh, and, uh, but I, I, I want, I want to become an upholder. Like I feel yeah. like, and it's interesting <laughs> as I get older, I feel like my, my own kind of personality, um, <laughs> I'm sure it's just maturity, right? It's what happens when you get old. Um, you just, you develop some different preferences. And yeah. so I notice myself moving out of the kind of obliging tendency and into more of an upholding tendency. But I think at my core, I'm an obliger. I, I was born in this way. I was definitely like uphold like, and trained to just to be responsible for everything, which is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So last question, Tim Hortons or Starbucks? Oh, Starbucks. Although, you know what? Do I have to pick that? Because my other favorite is my actual favorite is Mofer coffee. 
Mofer, M-O-F-E-R. There's a two okay. or three locations in Toronto and amazing Ethiopian coffee, my fave. Okay. Sounds good. All right, uh, Lisa, I appreciate your time. I'm going to put this in the show notes in terms of how people can reach you. But in case someone uh, is listening right now and wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Best way to get in touch with me is by email. And you can email me at lisabrisebois3 at gmail.com. So L-I-S-A-B-R-I-S-E-B-O-I-S number three at gmail.com. Perfect. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for being on the uh, podcast. Thank you so much, Jason. This has been a blast. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please like and rate us and spread the word. Do you have any questions or suggestions or are you an HR leader that has great stories and advice to share? Then send me a note at podcast at noblesearchgroup.com That's podcast at n-o-b-l-e searchgroup.com.